0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash loss. That's plushcare.com slash loss.
1: All right, we got a good show for you. It's the exciting mailbag questions. All your questions answer 100% correctly or your money back. But we'll get to those in just a second. Let's start with the Tampa Bay Rays. You know, Steve, when I was on vacation, I watched this team sort of like slowly plummet and when I say plummet, I know they're all kind of bunched up. But at one point, they were in fourth place. And I'm not sure if they were even in the playoff hunt. All of a sudden now, this Rays team, um, sort of on this road trip, turned it around. They won the last three in Toronto. They take two out of three from the Boston Red Sox. Aside from the game where they only you know, got two hits, the bats have come around. And now they look like a team that could really you know, uh, get themselves into real contention in the second half.
2: Well, I just want to clarify. You did not say it'd be miraculous if they started hitting. So I did not uh, I want say that know yet. That. Yes. Right, right. Yes, but the bad's coming alive. I mean, Isak Paredes has kind of been leading the charge. Randy Rosarina's heating up. Harold mm-hmm. Ramirez has been good. G-Man Choi. Mm-hmm. You know, if they can get Brendan Lau back after the All-Star break and if he can heat up, and we know he can be very streaky if he yeah. gets hot, if he can help with the offense. Kevin Kiermeyer's had some big hits and big moments. Yes, um, he has. You know, it, it's it's boating very well. That you know, and we know their pitching is phenomenal, and it doesn't seem to matter who they throw out there and who gets hurt and who's who's available and who's not. They pitch really well. If their yeah. bats are toasty, they're going to win a lot of games because they don't give up many runs.
1: Right, and I think, and the key to all of that, of course, was getting Wander Franco back because mm-hmm. I think you know he just extends that lineup. I mean, Yanni Diaz is a tough out because he doesn't swing at bad pitches. He's going to take his walks. Wander takes his walks or has been lately. Um, I think he walked three times the other night. But, you know, uh, what they've gotten out of, you know, Ramirez and, of course, Isak Paredes has been tremendous. And, you know, the power has been a big plus for them because that's something that they were lacking. And so now they got another guy that can hit the ball out of the ballpark. Um, It was just good to see. I mean, you know, hitting can be contagious, and it can also go the other way, I think, at times. Guys tend to press more when guys in front of them aren't doing as much. Uh, you know, so uh, it, it's nice to see the lineup sort of you know extend uh, to where when Kevin Kiermeyer gets you know drives in four runs, you're like, wow, Kevin. You know, rather than hey, he's batting cleanup, he has to do it or nobody else can. So, yeah, it just it, it and then the pitching. Look, this is as good of starting pitching as they have had in, in quite some time. I mean, it starts with the ace, obviously. Uh, Shane McClanahan's been phenomenal, um, but but even after that, man, they they have. You not just the starters, but the bullpen has been tremendous. You mentioned they lose FireEyes, and now they have an even better closer.
2: Yeah, Jason Adam has been has stepped in after Kittredge, and now FireEyes are out, your yeah. two highest-leverage pitchers. And Jason right. Adams stepped in, and he's pitched wonderful. I mean, he's been great for mm-hmm. yeah. uh, so starting pitcher. Corey Kluber has been fantastic yes he Jeffrey is. Springs I mean they convert him from a reliever to a starter and look how well he's doing
1: tremendous Drew yeah.
2: Rasmussen before he got hurt was doing really well mm-hmm. um, you know and their Patino should be back soon uh, right. who knows glass now I don't expect this year but he's starting to throw now maybe you get a little bit out of him late I don't think as a starter but right they just seem to have it it, it really is amazing where they find these arms and and how they how they coach them up I mean yeah, you, you, we've seen some pitchers recently talk about, you know, they, they tweaked just a little, just little things, just a little mm-hmm. bit here. Try this, this, this. And all of a sudden, boom, they're they're lights out. And it's it's incredible what they do to pitchers, this organization. And it's done this for years here. I mean, the pitching has been good for years. And yeah. p- pitchers come here and pitch better here than they do anywhere else.
1: Right. And sometimes when they leave here, they don't do as well, but they make them a lot of money while they're here. That's for sure. And and the other thing that that goes hand in glove of course with the pitching has been the defense. I mean, Frank having Franco back, I think also settles down your defense a little bit. Uh and we saw Taylor Walls uh who has been spotty at times at shortstop, but he was playing third the other day. They he made a couple plays that were tremendous. In fact, they did it in the outfield as well. Uh diving catch by Rosa Arena. So I I mean, when they can play defense the way they're supposed to, and the, the one thing that they haven't ironed out is the base running. <laughs> it's all—it's atrocious. We'll get to that. Um, yeah, it's just. Um, we have a although, although, on that one, so. did you see the other day? And this is this is the this is the plus minus with this, right? Like, there's no excuse to run yourself out of as many outs as they have done this year. I mean, it's stupid bad. Um, and maybe the biggest offender is Randy Arosarena. But did you see how he scored from second on a ground ball? Mm-hmm. I mean I, look, you're going
2: to make outs in the base. The Rays are aggressive. Yeah. And and if if the other team just makes a great play and throws you out, I'll sure. tip your cap. I'm not going to sit there and say, oh, another out on the bases. No. You know, it's the Yandi Diaz rounding first way too far in a blue to right field <laughs> right. and then he's stuck and he's out. I mean, that's a yeah. that's a base yeah. running error. There you Being go. Being aggressive and the center fielder made a perfect throw to third base and got you out. That's right. just that, that happens in baseball. I mean, it's the other teams on the do. field too, yeah. mm-hmm. you know. But there's there's enough of them of the why are you stealing on that count with this guy up uh, exactly and getting thrown out? Why you know those kind of mistakes getting picked off
1: first base, which that, we've seen. Yes, you know? that's
2: a perfect example of one. I mean, yeah. those are the ones that are frustrating. I mean, you know, you tried a stolen base and got thrown out, and it was the right situation. Okay, that happens. I mean, the, the catcher's there, the second baseman's there. They got good mm-hmm. players too. I mean, they're yeah. all major leaguers you're playing against, right? You know, so you know, being aggressive is is I I think it's a good thing, right? Um, you know, years ago they used to be too aggressive at third base. I mean, they were sending guys, you know, the, oh yeah, the, the, the center fielder's the got the ball home. and the runners, you know, at the shortstop and they're sending them home and it's like, yeah. what are you doing? You know, right, right. I mean, they've gotten better about when to send and when not to, which is good, yeah. but.
1: Well, their advantage, like they don't have, at least at the moment, you know, without Brandon Lau, without Mike Zanino, I mean, there's, you know, what, 60, almost 70 home runs out of your lineup. They're not hitting the long ball with any consistency in terms of home runs until Paredes got really, really hot. So their strength is their athleticism, and they have athletic guys. You know, Rosarena is an athletic guy. Wander Franco can run. So they got guys with wheels, and so you want to put pressure on the defense, and that's how you produce runs if you're not going to hit – three-run homers all the time. Um, so that part of is, is, is a strength, but, like, to your point, you just have to be smart about when you run. So we've got lots of uh, mailbag questions as well, but first uh, let me tell you about our sponsors, May Electric Solar. If you haven't uh, contacted these folks, you need to. It's a family-owned and operated uh, installer of solar electric systems. They've been doing it for 12 years. And, look, in the field where there's all these fly-by-night companies, May Electric Solar is committed to you, for the long term. They guarantee their workmanship with a thirty year labor and services warranty. Plus, with every install, you get seven hundred and fifty dollars worth of surge protection for your appliances. So they protect that. That's the May difference. Now, if you visit their Hudson Showroom, May Electric displays all of its products and conducts on-site testing so you can see what they're gonna install. Plus, you don't they don't use subcontractors, you know exactly who is doing the job for you. So start saving today. Call the solar energy experts at may electric solar at 727-819-2862 to schedule a free estimate and lower your electric bill all year long and preserve your quality of life and your appliances as well that's may electric at 727-819-2862 all right we got some uh, exciting mailbag questions including some on the raise we'll keep that topic going if you want to start with there
2: yeah we'll start with Craig in Vegas who said the Rays have an aggressive philosophy when it comes to base running but it seems like they don't understand the basics that we all even learn in Little League is it now just reckless and does Kevin Cash need to make an example of someone baseball IQ on team just seems low
1: well we just touched on this a minute ago I I, it's tough to make examples of guys so to speak I think typically when you see guys um and it's rare, but when you when you see a guy get pulled from the you know from the field or from the lineup or, or whatever, um, it's usually because they're not hustling. Yeah, and there are some guys that are hurt that they don't want to run hard to first base, so that's confusing too. Um, but you know, lack of effort is what gets you benched. Um, and yeah, you would you like for them to be smarter? And you constantly are talking about those things. And we talked about the aggressiveness i I don't know that benching guys you only have so many players and and a Rosa Arena might be one of the biggest offenders of bad base running by the same token he leads them in stolen bases and 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 you know he has that ability like we said just a minute ago to score from second base on a ground ball and and force the defense to make a perfect throw to get him and they didn't the other night so you don't want to coach that out of a guy and you don't want to find that out of a guy you just want them to be smarter about it, but I do think that it's it's on Kevin Cash and and his other coaches, uh, he's got you know guys at first and third base down there uh, to talk to those guys and, and as reminders, uh, you know what the situation is. Don't go to third with less than two out on a ground ball to the left side. You know um, if you don't have contact, play on. You want it, and you're at third. You want it to go past the mound before you are to you run home. You know that sort of thing. Some of those standard. Uh, base running, you know, axioms that you just need to practice in baseball. And in the long run, they pay off. Um, so I just think it's about constantly coaching these guys, but making examples of them. The only times I've seen guys get, uh, you know, be made examples of is when they're just not putting out effort. And I don't see that. In fact, it's too much effort with these guys. They're too aggressive at times. And it's more about, you know, not not the aggression that gets you, but just when you do it and what the situation is in the inning. What Who's at bat? Um, how many runs are you trailing by? Are you ahead? Uh, can you take a chance there? You know, um, Those are all things they need to continue to talk about. But I don't, I, it's not been Kevin Cash's style to really pull a guy and show a guy up like that in a game. It doesn't, it doesn't go well in the clubhouse when you do it as well because everybody thinks they could be the next guy. Um, and so I, I don't see that, but I, I do think that it is on the coaching staff and, and you know the guys that are coaching the bases to, to constantly drill in their heads that you know what the situation is and when they can take a chance and when they can't, and it has to get better because they, they have cost themselves too many innings and too many outs and, and uh, essentially games as well.
2: Well, I got some questions on the lightning here, and Michael had tweeted, "If trading Ryan McDonough was more about two seasons from now, then why did the lightning not wait until next offseason to trade him?"
1: Um. I, well, is it about two seasons from now, or is it about next season? Well, I, don't I, mean, know. I, I talked don't...
2: about this last last week on the podcast. Yeah, trading his salary, which is why they traded him. It was not about right. him. They would love him to stay on the back. They'd love the player. Players. Yeah, he's got a six point eight seven five million dollar contract annually for the next four years. Starting this season, they have a, a cap crunch, and and it's bad. But next year. They have to sign Anthony Sorelli, Mikhail Sergachev, Eric Chernak, Ross Colton, Cal Foote, all restricted free agents, all going to get big raises. That's where the cap crunch really hits. They could get to this year with keeping McDonough, but it was next year that it was going to be a problem.
1: But didn't you say, and I would agree with you, that it's, you know, McDonough is still a very productive player. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's sort of like the Belichickian theory of trade him a year early than a year too late. What if you keep him and his skills start to diminish a little bit and he's not as tradable? Then who would take 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 that that contract? contract. Yeah, and that's the biggest
2: thing is you you have to trade him while someone's still willing to take on four more years at 6.8 million plus.
1: And he's not the youngest player in the league, Mm -hmm. you know.
2: You know, and, and as Julian Breezewell said, if there was no salary cap, Ryan McDonough would be here and be here through the end of this contract. They sure. love Ryan McDonough. He's one of, one of the most impactful players not only on the ice but in the, the locker room for the Lightning for the past, you know, since he's been here but really these past three years. Right. And as they said, they wouldn't win a cup without him, and they're right. They wouldn't have won those two cups without him. That's right. But the salary cap forces you to make decisions. And based on his age and, and where he's at in his career – That was the decision that Julian Breezebois made.
1: I didn't see – somebody had a list the other day, and I wish I had copied it, of of just in the last two years, the number – I think it was two years, maybe all three, but the number of players they lost because of the salary cap. I mean, imagine what the Lightning would have been, could have been. Mm -hmm. I I mean, pretty damn good already, right? It would have been Tyler Johnson. Yeah. uh,
2: Blake Coleman, Barkley Goodrow. Yanni Gord was an expansion draft. Okay. So okay. now they would have had to lose somebody. It may not Could have been protected Gord. him. Yeah. Well, maybe last year you would have traded McDonough instead of Gord. Or although True. they kept McDonough in the expan- from the expansion draft, so probably not. Right. Uh, but they would have had to lose about his five million dollars in salary for whatever Somewhere, it was yeah. to yeah. get to the cap. So, but it didn't necessarily have to be Yanni Gord.
1: But the quality of players mm-hmm. that have left here because of salary cap mm-hmm. is. Impressive. Well, and that's how
2: you win is you get young players that are really good and cheap, but eventually they need to get paid. You know, Braden Point, when he came up and had big impacts, he was making, you know, less than a million dollars a year. Ross Colton, um, you know, Mikhail Sergachev was low. Sorelli was low. But then they start needing to get paid. And then, you know, you traded for Blake Coleman and Barkley Goodrow, who were on cheap contracts. They became free agents and wanted to get paid, and, and good on them. I mean, you know, make your money when you can. I've got no issues with that. And and so, but good teams, you have to keep that pipeline of young players coming up because you're you're going to eventually have to pay players like Nikita Kucherov nine and a half million a year, Andre Vasilevsky nine and a half million a year, Braden Point nine and a half million a year, and that eats up your salary cap. Now the Lightning are in a good position. Because they don't have players that are making, you know, the Blackhawks got saddled for several years because Jonathan Tays and Patrick Kane are making ten and a half million a year.
1: Yeah, yeah, you know,
2: a bigger part, and when the cap was a little lower back then, mm-hmm. and Connor McDavid's making what thirteen million in Edmonton. Well, that's that's like Nikita Kucherov's salary plus fifty percent. Yeah, you know, for one player, and so. Because the Lightning have been able to sign players at below market value, either they just really want to stay in Tampa Bay or the tax-free state, and, and that helps as far as that and the style of living here. But they've been able to keep players, and starting with Steven Stamkos, at below market value, below what they could get elsewhere. And that's how you keep a, a big core together. But you still have players that, that become really good and need to get paid, and, and they'll eventually move on to either the free agency or you trade them to make room for some of the other guys. And that's how the hard part for the lightning or any team in this situation is you've traded a lot of draft picks. You draft late all the time because you're winning. How do you keep that pipeline? The young kids keep coming up and making an impact. And it's, you've got to have really good scouting or you've got to figure out some other trades to get young guys in.
1: Mm -hmm. I think uh, talking about, cap friendly deals and I haven't seen the breakdown in terms of like you know one year from now two years from now three years from now but I know the average to get Nick Paul at three and a half million seems like a damn bargain
2: and it's actually three point one five
1: yeah oh, even so, less yeah okay. it's less
2: than that he, they went seven years to get a, you know less per year but went right. seven years with him to give him so you the know, total
1: value is up but yeah he's but over that,
2: 21 million in contracts 21 almost 22 million
1: and that's one where they will—they have readily admitted they didn't realize all that he could do mm-hmm. um, until he got here. And I mean, we talk about a solid, solid guy mm-hmm. and a big—you know—a big body that yeah. they didn't have as a sentiment. I mean, he's—he did so much for them in the playoffs that, you no, know, that's one they probably weren't counting on. But then they saw what they had, and it seems—it seems like a team-friendly deal to me.
2: Uh, it is, and you know, like Brendan Hagel. They've got him under control for, what, two more years? Two more years. And then he's only a restricted free agent. I mean, they're paying him one five for the next two. And then he's a restricted free agent after that, which means you're going to really control his rights for five years. Now, we don't know what the number will be come two years from now. It will depend on how he plays. But, you know, that's why you traded for Hagel and gave up as much as you did. You gave up Colton or uh, uh, Kachuk and Radish, and you gave up draft picks as well. It yeah. was that you had him for th- this season plus two more. Plus he was only a restricted free agent then, plus so control, you got him, yeah. You know, for three more years after that, if you choose, based on that yeah. deal. Uh, no, know.
1: he's and he's a solid, solid player. I mean, he showed that in the postseason as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, look you don't get you don't make it to the Stanley Cup three years in a row and done, and do what they have accomplished in these over these last ten years unless you have a damn good front office and scouting staff and player development and minors and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the secret sauce, right? Sort of like the Rays as well, why they're so consistent. And they're, they're outspent. They don't even have a salary cap here, you know, situation. But, um, but the Lightning, the Lightning has, has just done a tremendous job of drafting and developing guys uh, and also acquiring players that, that they know will fit what they want to do, and, and mm-hmm. they, they get the upside on those guys as well.
2: Well, for instance, Phillip Myers, who they got back in the Ryan McDonough trade, right-handed shot defenseman, is 25. Got a good shot, um, Mm -hmm. plays but one of the things Julian Breesbois said is probably needs to work on his skating. He goes, And we have a good history of helping guys skate better. And so they're banking on that as part of his development and becoming a better defenseman than what he showed in Nashville. Is they think their systems and their people can work and help him. And it's finding those right guys that you can you know, that's what the Rays do. They find those guys that they can tweak a little bit, work on a few things, and all of a sudden become a lot better.
1: Yeah. No, it's 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 just been remarkable. That's why they're one of the best or voted the best organization in all of pro sports for a number of years. So yeah.
2: Uh Kyle tweeted us. He says if Tampa and Andre Palat run out of time to get a deal done, will the Lightning look elsewhere or will this give Nick Paul an opportunity to play the top two lines?
1: I mean, the Palat thing is interesting because of his age, but his production has been so great that mm-hmm. I don't I I can't imagine them not, you know, Wanting to move on, um, he's just such a clutch player, particularly in the postseason. I mean, Paul Paul can play on any line mm-hmm. in my in my opinion. You know, like it, it depending on the situation, he he can be one through four. I mean, that's the the brilliance of him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he can do everything. He can help you in the you know uh, in in the penalty kill. He can help you if you needed him on the power play. I mean, I, I think he can do anything. But I I don't know that it's there's going to be a, a concerted effort now. You know, just because they want Nick Paul in the front first line.
2: Look, I believe that Brendan Hagel was acquired not only to help in the, the postseason run and to become a little grittier and mm. and add some sandpaper and that, but I believe he was he was traded for to be Andre Palat's replacement. Okay. Now, that does not mean they don't re-sign Andre Palat. But yeah. you knew Andre Palat was going to be an unrestricted free agent. Sure. You know there's a chance you could lose him at the end of the year. Sure. And and Brendan Hagel plays a similar type of style to Andre Palat. Mm-hmm. They'll go get pucks in corners, has a good scoring touch. He scored over twenty goals this year. yeah he did um you know he can be that guy on that line and I, I believe and he's twenty three years old. I believe when the lightning traded for him, their thought is he can be an Andre palat replacement in the top six. Mm-hmm. Whether he takes that role or not will become you know training camp in the season. I mean it could be Nick Paul. You could move Ross Colton up there. I mean, there's all kinds of options you can do, and and they'll probably experiment with quite a bit this year, depending on what the roster looks like come you know opening night and, and yeah. training camp. and that, is Andre Palat back? You know, uh, defensively, is Jan Ruda back? Uh, who's going to take his spot in the defensive core if he's not back? Um, you know, think you know as you, as you go through, they'll kind of see, and and who knows if they you know if they don't sign Andre Palat, do they sign somebody else?
1: Yeah, the the comparison to me, like. And they're not the same guy, but they were on the same line at one time. You forget how much Tyler Johnson did for this team, right, Mm -hmm. back in the day. Mm -hmm. And they moved on from Tyler Johnson.
2: Well, yeah, they did. And, you know, he kind of became an odd man out because he was playing a lot in the third and fourth line where he wasn't really a good fit either. Uh, Because, you know, when you have a group that's got seven or eight top six forwards, that becomes a problem. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, You know, and look, do they do they want to resign? Would they love Andre Palat to play here for many more years? Absolutely. Did did he make five point three million this past year? Yes. And can they afford that for any length of time going forward if that's what he's looking for? No, they can't. Right. If he's willing to take less, then I think the Lightning have a shot to re-sign him, depending on what Andre wants to do. But if he wants to go get $6 million a year for three yeah, or four and years and from he's somebody an older else.
1: player, right? he's an older player that you can, you can appreciate that, he, that you know, he might have one big payday. Mm-hmm. You know?
2: Well, I mean, he's made almost $40 million in his career. So oh, and I know, but I mean, but yeah. one last payday. And, I mean, and, he, and, and yeah, you're not going to fault him if he takes that. No. You'd love him to stay here, and the Lightning would love him to stay here. But it's got to work financially because there is a, this thing called the salary cap. And the mm-hmm. Lightning want to keep this window open for many more years as they've as long got as they can. Kucherov and Point and Vasilevsky and these guys locked up for many years to come.
1: Yep, yep, makes sense. All
2: right, Mike had tweeted that he did this last week, and he says, are the Lightning's black aces? I hear that term thrown around a lot, but I don't know what it means. And, and simply what it is is once your AHL team season is done, you know. so in this place, the Syracuse Crunch,
1: playoffs are over right yeah
2: once they're done for the season whether it's the regular season ends or their playoff ends you bring a lot of those guys up to work out with your team during the playoffs essentially Mm -hmm. they're there as hot backups in case you get some players hurt but it's also an extended chance for for coaches and the organization for them to work with them train with them usually they're practicing either before or after practice you know during Mm -hmm. the playoffs if there's optional skates maybe a lot of them are out there when most of the team may not play, but it's basically just an opportunity for the young guys to get more time on the ice, more time with the coaches, more time in front of the organization, and, and to work on their game, and, and to and to get some time with playing with Kucherov, playing with Stamkos, playing with Hedman, mm-hmm. playing with Sergachev. You know, pick your pick your stars on this team. You know, your goalie playing. You know, seeing how Andre Vasilevsky practices and works, and it's an opportunity to do more of that outside of training camp.
1: And so, if they need them, that won't be the you know, the mm-hmm. won't be the first time they played with, with them together. It's also a reward, I would think, if you get an mm-hmm. opportunity to be one of those guys.
2: Yeah, and they don't bring everybody. They bring the guys that hey, look, if there's an injury, we'd we'd consider sure. putting you in the playoffs, and and then sure. you, you kind of see how they go. I mean, you know, this year, luckily, the Lightning didn't have a ton. They didn't need a ton of. They didn't really didn't use any of the black. I mean, Riley Nash was up from the beginning. He didn't play in the playoffs for Syracuse because they brought him up to be the 13th forward. They didn't have to go deeper than that, and they didn't go mm-hmm. deeper than seven defensemen in the playoffs either. So,
0: planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
2: All right, we got some football questions here, and Harlan had tweeted, Bruce Arians ran two fields during training camp to give players the, uh, more opportunities to practice. Will Todd Bowles continue that
1: my information, such as it is, and this is a hundred percent accurate, I suppose. Um, as we, at least as we we field this question now, is that there will not be two practices going on at the same time. That, um, and we didn't, and we kind of, you know, saw that immediately when they were going through the OTAs and especially in the mandatory minicamp. And so, um, it's different. Uh, it's a different philosophy. I understood why Bruce did it. His theory was, you know, if I have a young player that might only get four reps in, throughout an entire practice, why not? We have if we have enough players, especially in training camp, because you have ninety guys, why not have two fields going at the same time, and then instead of four or five reps, these guys are getting you know twenty-five, thirty reps, and it makes sense um, from a development standpoint. Um, and yet, uh, I think that bulls is a little more old school and it's funny saying that bulls is more old school when you have a, a 60 year old coach and in, in Bruce Arians um but he's more about competition and he wants his best players playing against each other as much as they can well they can't play every snap right you want to give those guys a little bit of a rest and to do that you need your backups to go in there and take some reps and if they're on the other field you know um yeah, practice might be shorter, and maybe they get more reps overall on that on that number two field. But you're also wearing out your guys, and so I think I think just think Bowles is used to a system. He's done it both ways, obviously, because he's worked with Arians for a long time. But again, um, with as much influence as Arians has had on Todd Bowles, a bigger influence is Bill Parcells, which is of the Belichick tree. We talked about that before. I think that's why Tom Brady probably is more comfortable uh, in terms of a hands-on. Approach with with Todd Bowles, who's still going to call the defense. Um, he's going to have interaction with him on offense too, uh, and we've talked about how they're going to have, you know, sort of more of a, uh, uh, you know, more cohesion in terms of, of, of you know, a complete game. You know, game planning to help the defense, game planning to help the offense, just trying to score one more point, which is all you're trying to do. Whereas. I think Arians was much more offensive-oriented. You saw that on game day about, by who dressed. You know, sometimes he would dress six, maybe seven receivers, depending on what they did on special teams. Um, and, and it cost them on, on teams at times. I think you'll see more of a defensive approach in terms of who gets a helmet and that sort of thing. But the biggest thing is Todd Bowles wants competition on every play, every rep, and to do that, you you can't have your backups or even sometimes your your third team running back um, over there taking all the reps on an, on an opposing field. So I don't think that we will see uh, those two practice fields maybe early on um, if there's, if there's, uh, you know, install, which happens at every practice or maybe even a seven-on-seven seven at times. But for the most part, when they go team, I think you're going to see the whole team on one field.
2: Michael tweeted, Could the Bucks re-sign Jason Pierre-Paul or have they moved on?
1: I think they've moved on. Um, Jason Pierre-Paul is still unsigned. I think primarily uh, he has come out and said he wants to play. He had the torn rotator cup he played with a year ago, which is remarkable that he even attempted that. I think at times it was probably to his and the Bucks' detriment that he did so. Uh, and so it's taken him longer now in the offseason uh, to have surgery. If he would had done it, you know, earlier in the year, a year ago, it would have cost him the season, but uh, he'd be ready to go. So, um you know, Pierre Paul's one of those guys, I think, at this point in his career, he, he was still making a good bit of money. Um, it always comes down to money. But more importantly for this team, uh, you know, you got to get younger. And Joe Tryon, Showinka came in as a rookie. He he played a lot more than they intended him to because of Pierre Paul's injuries. Uh, the problem was is that, you know, Joe Tryon, Showinka was moved all over the defense. I mean, at times – you know they played him inside, they played him outside, they played on the right side, they played him on the left side, and he never really got settled in any position. And while his versatility is something they really really like, and they'll probably see some of that again, they'd like for him just to stay at one spot and and learn how to play it um, because he's he's uh, so much upside, he's so much so much athleticism, um, and I think he's improved. So again, we've talked about this whether it's the lightning that we were just talking about. You have to in order to. In order to have young players, and this is true a little bit about Sue, although they signed Akeem Hicks, but in order for young players to develop, they need to play. And if you get to the point where you think you know, Joe Tryon is ready and he's ready to be that everyday starter, how can you have Jason Pierre-Paul on the team? Because he's not going to play for free. Um, And a lot of times salary dictates who is the starter. Uh, And in this case, I think they they had to clear the deck for what they thought at this point is a better player certainly has bigger upside and needs to be in the game to, to hone his craft. He can't get better on the sidelines. And, you know, he was a rotational guy. The games he started, he actually had high production. Um, he started the New England game, for example. He had two two sacks in that game. So I think the more he's on the field, uh, he'll get some on-the-job training. He's got to learn his technique. He's got to learn how to play lower. There's a lot of things that um, that he needs to do, but he's he's – spent a year behind JPP and Shaq Barrett and I think he's gotten better and learned a lot from them and I've talked to Joe he's excited about um, you know being on the field and you know the other thing is there's pressure if you're a player that is a rookie and uh, or or even a young guy that comes in very sparingly say you only play you know out of 65 snaps you might you might play 11 or 12 snaps there's a lot of pressure um, to produce in those 11 and 12 snaps and so you know, sometimes you can become undisciplined because you you feel like you know I got to jump into this gap or I got to make a splash play here. Uh, you don't get a chance to really w- you know work on your counter moves, your technique. Um, you don't get a feel for the guy you're going against. You know that's part of it too. Like if I only have 11 snaps against a guy versus 50, um, you know I might be able to set him up, figure him out, um, know know what works, what doesn't. And so they they need he needs to be on the field to learn of all that and to and and to get better. Um, they already love his athleticism and, and his his motor and all those things. And, you know, it's time for him to take what he learned from JPP and check in those guys and apply it. So you never say never because if you were to get an injury or something like that and JPP was still out there, uh, he lives in Florida, you know, th- that might be somebody that you could, you know, you could bring back and, and you wouldn't waste any time in terms of him trying to learn the defense and the terminology and all of that. But right now, uh, I don't think there's any plans to sign him.
2: Ellis tweeted. Which is more impressive, a six foot three, two hundred and forty pound defensive end jumping out of a pool, or six foot five, three hundred and twenty pound offensive tackle jumping out of a pool? The first is Rams rookie Daniel Hardy. We all know who the second one is.
1: Yeah, I've never seen a guy like Tristan Wirfs before, man. Um, and I saw what Hardy did, but uh, I didn't think he was as smooth at it as as Wirfs did it almost effortlessly. And I couldn't jump out of a pool at any age when, when I was 175 pounds like that. Um, Tristan Wirfs is, and he won't get credit for this, but, but his feet, his athleticism is off the charts. Um, You know, he grew up doing, playing every sport. He played baseball. um, You know, I think he played some basketball. He uh, wrestled a a ton. um, And so you certainly have to use your, your speed, your quickness and understand leverage uh, he was a guy that before his, his freshman year at Iowa, um, he had to drop weight. And I, and I want to say he wrestled at like something ridiculous, like 235 or or something like that. Lost like 40, 50 pounds so he could wrestle uh, and then put it back on to go to Iowa. Uh, and, and I mean, that's a guy much like Ali Marpet. I don't know if you've seen Ali Marpet. I saw him a couple weeks ago, maybe a month ago now. Uh, at the Mike Evans uh, uh, gala, the foundation uh, dinner that he had, and Ali doesn't have a suit that fits him anymore because he's lost so much weight. And he did it—he did it like the right way. Like he wasn't trying to crash diet because it's unhealthy, but he—he he just merely started sleeping better, eating better, not not having to do all those things to maintain his weight that were unhealthy for him and live in a healthier lifestyle. And the guy is probably going to wind up being about. 200 and maybe 25 or 30 pounds. I mean, it's ridiculous. Uh, And he looks great and he's, and he, and he looks uh, like a new person. But, um, you know, I think that, that, that can happen. And so the thing about worse is, is that he could play shortstop if he wanted to. Um, That's how, that's how athletic he is. And he, and he does maintain his weight, you know, through weightlifting and eating and things like that. Um, but he 's a big man with tremendous feet and i 'm more impressed by anything he does jumping out of a pool, blocking somebody. I mean this guy went his rookie season and gave up one sack, one, which is just incredible and he finally you know he 's a pro bowler last year. I think he 's going to wear a gold jacket if he stays healthy one day. He has the best temperament of of almost anybody on the team. He never seems to have a bad day, always smiling, loves football, loves his teammates, and so yeah, I, I'm a little closer to uh, to Tristan, so that's why I feel that way. But um, there's nothing he does that surprises me, and I think he does it better than almost anybody in the league, certainly at his position and his size.
2: All right, Eric tweeted. He goes, five or so years from now, do you see two major conferences in college football? And how many teams would be in each? Or can the ACC and Big 12 stay strong enough to make up four power conferences? Also, does any ACC school dare to challenge the grant of rights since the money in the SEC or Big Ten appears to be substantially greater.
1: We talked about this the other day, and I, I just think the SEC and the Big, Big Ten now are going to dominate uh, college football. And I don't know how many teams are ultimately going to be in those two conferences. I don't know how you compete with it. I mean, can, is, is there a rebuild possible for the Pac-12? It, can the ACC survive um, in any sort of form and compete contractually? I mean, the problem is the money. You know, what TV contracts can you get? Um, can one of them lure Notre Dame? I mean, I, I do think that predominantly those two conferences, the Big Ten and the SEC, are going to run the sport. And anything after that is just speculation. Uh, what do you think? So, I mean, how many teams can they have in those two conferences ultimately? You could have a divisions within those conferences, obviously, um, yeah, east I mean, west, you know, I you mean, you've
2: got, what, 16 going to each now. Right. Could you go to 20? Could you go Could to you go 32? To thir- Could mean, you go to
1: 32 is what I'm thinking. And then you have your 64.
2: Now, I don't know if there's enough schools for both to go to 32 to make it worth their while financially. I mean, right. at some point. You're splitting the pie so At some much. point, you keep adding schools. Is ESPN or Fox or CBS going to pay you more because you've added, uh, you know, you added Kansas. Right. You've added Oregon State. Right. You've added Virginia Tech. I mean, nice schools, good programs, but is there more money in the television deals when you add schools like that, or are you just taking whatever money they're paying you and now adding another school to divvy it up?
1: Hmm. I think it's going to be. I think they're. Going be, it's going to be. Those are going to be large numbers before they're done. Those two conferences. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, the Big Ten rights are coming up. I, I don't think it's this year. I think it's next year. Right. Which is part of what's driving these moves, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Pac-12, the other part of this is the Pac-12's rights are coming up. And they wanted schools to sign grant of rights, which UCLA and US, US, USC didn't want to sign. So right. they went to the Big Ten instead. And what a grant of rights is, is, for instance, all the ACC schools have signed grant of rights. If they leave the conference... Every dollar they've gotten in this television deal so far, they have to repay. Mm-hmm. So if you're five, six years in, and let's say you got, let's just say, $20 million a year just for a number. So right. I, you right. owe $100 million to leave the conference. Yeah. you know, And and as you get further in this deal, it becomes more and more.
1: But they're talking about, with these other conferences, the SEC and the Big Ten, TV rights going to the $1 billion with a B. Mm-hmm. Markers.
2: Yeah, you're talking eighty to hundred million dollars a year to each school.
1: Each school, yeah.
2: You know, which, which is, is a significant advantage over other schools getting you know thirty to forty million a year.
1: Absolutely, the whole conference. I think if I saw one of them was was making two hundred fifty million. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, whether it's the ACC or one of them. Look, it's 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 the new frontier, and 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 those two conferences got on top of the curve, and they got Texas and Oklahoma to go to the SEC, and you just took the biggest market um, the second biggest television market with USC and UCLA, uh, into the big 10. Mm-hmm. So, you know, hard, hard for a, a team like a conference, like the PAC 12 to now all of a sudden come up with, um, replacements for those two teams, those, those, those two brands. I mean, that's what they are. They're brands. Um, in, in, and with a following in those, you know, in the LA market is just incredible. So yeah, I, I think the SEC and the Big 10 uh, the Big 10 are going to are going to dominate college football. I don't know what is going to be left for some of those other conferences. Maybe they can include them in some kind of a playoff um, down the road, but um, well,
2: and, and the fact of the matter is the SEC and Big 10 have dominated college football well, they have for anyway. years, yeah. particularly yeah. financially. Yeah. Sure. You know, sure. the SEC has the best schools and the, the you know, the best football being played and the most athletes in their home areas and such. And the Big Ten sure. has the biggest alumni base. Sure. I mean, schools like Michigan and Ohio State and Michigan State have the biggest alumni bases in the world of colleges, which sure. is why, you know, if you look at the, the most watched football games last year, three, three of the top five were Michigan, the other two were Alabama. Mm-hmm. I mean, those are two of the biggest programs in the world right. as far as college football goes, and, and alumni and people that watch them and root for them. And it's why those conferences dominate the television rights deals and have dominated college football. It doesn't mean that Texas in the Big 12 couldn't be good or Oklahoma and USC in the Pac-12, but those, as a conference, those two conferences dominate because they get the biggest television audience because they have the most alumni and the in the best product. And so they dom- they've dominated for years financially.
1: You're a, you're a Michigan man so to speak. How do you feel from a traditional tradition standpoint? Like are you sad that it's come to this um, do, you, do you welcome teams like USC and UCLA into the Pac-10 or the Big Ten?
2: You know, as it if you like tradition, it kind of stinks. I mean, you're not going to face USC or UCLA in the Rose Bowl ever again. Right. You know, but I also realize the world's changed. I mean, Penn State was added. Nebraska's in the Big Ten. Uh, the Big yeah. Ten's got 14. Rutgers and Maryland are there. I mean. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, Missouri and is in the SEC, and you know, mm-hmm. it, it's uh, you know the world changes, and yeah, you know, I'd rather if, if I'm Michigan, I'd rather be the ones adding the best schools than being they're, left they're out, looking
1: for a place. Yeah, right.
2: You know, I mean, I'm a, I graduated from the University of Cincinnati. They're going to the Big Twelve. What's the Big Twelve going to look like? That's true. You know, I don't know what the future holds for Cincinnati, and, you know, and, and all the great things they've done to finally get to a Power Five conference. What's that going to look like by the time but they get But now that there? Power Five
1: conference can't, yeah, can't yeah. compete with, with SEC. Now there's the been Big
2: talk Big of, Ten. do they merge with the Pac-12 and form a better, that could be a good thing. Right. Geographically, it's not necessarily, but, you know, so it's hard to tell. I mean, I, I don't know what the future holds for them, but, it, it, you know, as far as Big Ten, I'd rather be the the big 10 adding schools and adding the schools you want instead of looking for scraps.
1: You think you'll see your team in a national championship again then? I hope so. Yeah. Uh,
2: you know, but what's a national champ I mean, are we finally with super conferences going to get to a tournament now?
1: I think you have to. I don't, I think it's inevitable now.
2: I mean, you can't play every team in your conference and if you start no. getting to 20 whatever, you, you can't even play half the teams in your conference.
1: Right. Right. They're going to have to have a tournament. Of some kind, and I don't know how they determine which teams are in and which are out, but they i think we're headed. Television to an will dictate that, but absolutely, and that's—that's that's where there'll be more money, and, and ultimately, that's what you know changes all, everything, right?
2: Mm-hmm. You know, it's going to be—it's going to be curious what happens to schools like South Florida. You know, they're trying to build an outdoor stadium, they're adding an indoor practice facility, they're—they're they're trying to upgrade and compete but as the power 5 may not be the power 5 anymore and they're on the outside right now of that you know how do they compete in the future i, I don't know what the answer is and i don't know what it's going to look like yeah uh, michael kelly's got pretty good insight and in his background of being you know part of the acc you know that's where he worked before usf so right you know we'll see how that's going you know it would help if their football program was doing better at this point mm-hmm. and you hope jeff scott can get a few more wins this year and get the program you know, going in the right direction as far as number of wins go. Yeah. I mean, I believe last year's team was better than the year before, but wins-wise it really wasn't.
1: Yeah, he's got to show some wins. The one thing that I'm encouraged by, and they say that you need it, I I, I suppose it's true. I tend to doubt that the, that the alumni are going to be very thrilled, but I think they're certainly moving forward with the stadium. Mm-hmm. And it seems like that's been, you know, Some a a piece that's missing and and something that is that has been attractive to uh those schools that have moved to other bigger conferences. So the on campus stadium is 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 progress, right? Mm -hmm. They got the indoor, they got the indoor going, um, new facilities there. So you know, USF, I it's 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 really something because we know what Jim Levitt built, we know, um, you know, Willie Taggart had success here. There's such great co- uh, high school football in this area. Uh, Florida, Florida State, Miami, uh, Alabama, LSU, all those can't get everybody, um, you know, back mm-hmm. in the day. And Matt Baker is right, and we should talk about I was, to I was him just going to say, uh, Matt's done yeah. the trim-
2: I've you know, obviously two of three have dropped at this point by the time we're – It's recording. a
1: great series. So, what he's writing about is, you know, there was not too long ago um, the big three, Florida, Florida State, and Miami dominated. And I mean – dominated college football um won national championships uh you know finished in the top three uh so many times top 10 so many times and and obviously you know we've seen the other end of that lately uh and whether or not what it would take for them to get back to that um and how it happened in the first place and it's really interesting anything from you know population growth i mean you name it He he includes all of it so we'll have to get him on to talk about that but You know, as you look at it now, Florida's in the SEC, okay, good for them. Um, Florida State, Miami in the ACC, mm, not so good.
2: Well, we'll see. I mean, you know, the ACC has talked about a championship game with the Pac-12 at the end of every year Mm -hmm. that we played in Vegas, trying to add more revenue and television rights deals. And, you know, their grant of rights may allow them to keep most of their schools at this point. I don't know how many would leave and how many could afford the exit fee, basically. Right. You know, so maybe the ACC adds some schools from either the Big Twelve or the Pac twelve.
1: They become a power conference, like like the SEC and the Big Ten. Yeah,
2: yeah. That's, it's always a possibility. I mean, you know, can you get the right brands and the right schools? You know, you, you right. look look at the big money schools that are still out there. Notre Dame's still the biggest one, and the ACC the, has a relationship yeah. with Notre
1: Dame. They do every other sport except mm-hmm. football.
2: But does Notre Dame want to? Pass up the opportunity. This may be their last chance to join the Big Ten, which is a bigger money conference. Right, right. You know, Oregon is one of those brands, especially with Nike and Phil Knight there. And, and that's one a lot of Big Ten people would love to target Oregon. I don't know if the sure. Big Ten agrees with that. Sure. And, and those both of those schools are on that American Association of Universities or AAU, whatever it is, um, schools. Washington's another big school as far as, you know. Mm-hmm. Potential revenue and, and money, and it's in Seattle. It's a big market. Sure. Uh, North Carolina is, is a big brand. That's of course in the mm-hmm. ACC. You know, so right. you know what other Florida State, Miami, your possibility. I mean, you know, where do some of the Clemson? That's a huge one. Clemson
1: is a huge one. Could yeah. Could they
2: go to the SEC? You know, that is the SEC like interested there? Yeah. South Carolina may not like that, but you know so it's it, you know will more dominoes fall or are we going to stay kind of status quo as far as SEC Big 10 for a little while and i don't know if anyone can predict that
1: yeah no, i don't either but the money's going to be big and money usually dictates it and you'll have to see what the tv contracts do
2: but don't forget, we still can't pay players though
1: <laughs> Well, <laughs> uh they're paying them they're oh, just now doing they are, it yes. <laughs> yeah they're doing it in nils and and uh the, the, but trust me the schools are still going to make plenty of money and um at least now, some of it's in the open and, and good for the players, as far as I'm concerned. One final thing: thanks for your mailbag questions; uh, they were excellent. And you can send this to us, you know, send them to us anytime. You don't have to wait for our mailbag segment. You can do that on Twitter at SportsDayTB. You can reach me on Twitter at NFLStroud. My email address: rstroud at tampa As we were uh, recording this show, some some sad news in the world of acting: James Caan, 82 years old, has died. And if that name doesn't ring a bell, then you've never watched The Godfather, <laughs> <laughs> or I Am Third, which was uh, or, uh, it was a book um, about. Well, I think the movie was called something different, wasn't it? Um, about Gale Sayers and uh, Brian Piccolo. He played Brian Piccolo way back in the day, in the early seventies, when mm-hmm. I first became aware of James. Was that Brian's song? Brian's song. That's what it was. Yeah, based on the story of Brian Piccolo, mm-hmm. who who died of of cancer, uh, and he. Uh, uh, played fullback running back with the Bears as Gil Sayers was coming into the NFL. Um but uh con, con did a he did Elf, remember the Elf mm-hmm. movies? Oh
2: yeah, he was the dad in the Walter Walter Hobbs, yeah, I believe tr- was his name tr- and yeah,
1: Walter Hobbs, tremendous in that. One of the one of the real great actors of our of our time. And uh that's sad. I don't I don't know any details. I don't have any reason uh to, to know if you know what what caused his death, but he's eighty two. Um and uh, one one of the better actors of, of my life. I I was very young when he was doing some of those movies that we mentioned, um, but the God I I don't you know the Godfather and Godfather like those that the the original Godfather, if Godfather two is like those are some of the movies like you can when you see him on TV, you have to stop and watch. You know, mm-hmm. they were so tremendous, and he was so good at them. Yeah, Sonny Corleone. Um, yeah, Sonny Corleone. Sonny. Corleone yeah. Got shot at a toll booth, I believe. Mm-hmm. Got shot up pretty good, as a matter of fact. <laughs> but uh yeah, he was great. Um so yeah, sad sad news there, James Conn dead at at eighty two years old. All right, um before we get out of here, remember uh if you're looking uh and you should be for some uh some help with your electric bill, contact our friends at May Solar. It's a family owned business. They've been in business um, uh, you know, for what like uh, twelve years? I think they've been installing these systems. Um, they offer a thirty-year labor and sur- service warranty. They got a, a showroom in Hudson. You can look at all of their products and you know sort of their on-site testing, so you can see exactly what they're going to install. But you can save your appliances. You can you know get all kinds of uh, appliance protection, 750 dollars worth of surge protection for your appliances as well. So call our friends at uh, May Electric, 727-819-2862, 727-819-2862, and schedule a free estimate and lower your electric bill. Thanks for listening. Hope you have a great weekend. For Steve Burst and Stroud of the Ten Bay Times. We'll talk to you on Monday.
0: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's.